0: Thank you. I'd like you again, please, to turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23 for the last time, uh, at least in this visit, Leviticus 23. uh, I want to just say, too, as you're turning there, thank you again for the opportunity to be here and share with you from the Word of God. Thank you for all your hospitality and kindness and interest in the Scriptures. It's just been a joy to be here. I really have uh, enjoyed the time very much. like to begin reading as we consider the Feast of Trumpets from Leviticus 23, uh, 23, verse 23, uh, down to verse 25, Leviticus 23, 23, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month. In the first day of the month shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And again, we believe God will bless that short reading of his precious word to us this evening. As you think about these festivals, we've already said that the first four festivals were fulfilled in connection with the first advent of Christ. Uh, the Passover, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. The first fruits was uh, Christ, the first fruits from the dead, uh, the uh, Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit, of course, the Feast of Unleavened Bread being um, feeding on Christ and at the same time removing leaven from our lives. And so all these things are connected with that first Advent and they're all were, uh, fulfilled in the springtime of the year. Uh, so they began on the 14th day of the first month, uh, the final festival, Pentecost, the sixth day of the third month. And so everything's at the springtime of the year. And then you've got this long gap. Uh, where it seems like nothing's happening except work. <laughs> they're bringing in the harvest. They're, they're, that's all that's going And there's an expectation, a longing, a waiting for the final festivals, which will come in the autumn of the year. And uh, the, w- they will begin on the first day of the seventh month. And after a long wait, these final festivals all come together really quickly. First day of the seventh month, 10th day of the seventh month, 15th to the 22nd day of the seventh month. And so after a long wait of seeming inactivity except for work, hard work, bringing in the harvest, all of a sudden everything's going to start and it'll happen real quick, one after another. The final festivals really are dealing primarily with the Jewish problem. Of course, um, we recognize that... um, Uh, There's a secondary application of these festivals to the church, but I want to suggest to you the final three festivals are all to do primarily with the Jewish problem. And you'll recognize that there is a Jewish problem. Uh, Every U.S. administration in recent memory has tried to grapple as part of their foreign policy with the problem of Israel. And the world recognizes, don't they, that Israel's a problem. It really is a problem. What are we going to do here? You've got this tiny little piece of real estate that um, the Jews claim God gave to them uh, through the promise to Abraham. And then you've got all these surrounding people hostile to the Jews, uh, bent on wiping them out of existence and claiming that that land is theirs. By the way, we just want to clear that up. The book of Ezekiel tells us clearly that it's not really an issue. It's God's land. He says, it's my land and I can give it to whoever I want. And he says, that is my land. But nevertheless, here's the government, all sincere, trying to, if we could just solve this problem, that in their minds, we can bring in world peace. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is going to solve the Jewish problem. It won't be President Obama or any of the go- presidents of the United States. It will not be... Uh, Putin, it will not be, the European Union, although they're all going to try, but God is going to solve that problem. So, once to think about this, and I believe that Israel's problem is really threefold. First of all, they're still a scattered people. There are still more Jews outside of Israel than in Israel. So, they have a problem. They're a scattered people. And they're all over the world. I have been to various countries. Toronto, I was remember being there. Uh, One. Uh, one uh, Friday evening, uh, the dawning of the Sabbath, and I was in this area, and they were all there, the Jewish men walking to the synagogue, and I thought I was in Israel. I mean, it was just like it was a very distinct... Go to London, the gold is green area, very much a Jewish area, and uh, people, same thing. And, and you could see various places, even Argentina, all over the world, there are Jewish uh, settlements where they, they live, but it's not in their land. And there's still more out than in. Scattered people dispersed throughout the nations. And Of course, these consequences are really consequences of their rejection of Christ. Uh, the, The scattering in AD 70 that began all this was because they had rejected their Messiah. And the Lord Jesus said to them that things would happen as a result of their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are scattered people. They also are a sinful people. Because um, although they may be God's chosen people, they're still lost people. And many of them, uh, the Scripture says there's a blindness. Here they are reading from the Scriptures every Sabbath day, and they're missing the key. The Lord Jesus said to them, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of Me. And while they miss Him, they miss the point. He is the point. That's what we've been trying... If you didn't get anything else out of this series, I hope you got this, that Christ is the point of the Bible. He is God has stamped an impression of His Son. So wherever you look, you see Him. And they have missed the key... To unlocking the truth of the scriptures, so there are scattered people, there are sinful people, and there are suffering people. They have, since AD seventy, suffered persecution, indignity, anti-Semitism, hatred, illogical hatred. I watched a documentary on YouTube of a, uh, uh, a neo-Nazi community in Russia. And they were interviewing these people and they were all saying they hate the Jews. And so the interviewer said, well, have you ever met one? No. (laughs) Can you ever remember a Jew being in your village? No. Well, how can you hate people you've never even set eyes on? We don't know, we just do. That's what they said. There's no logic to it. There's no rationale to it. But behind it, actually, if we really want to be honest, behind the hatred of Israel is the serpent himself. That old serpent, the devil. You know why he hates Israel? Because their existence is a testament to the existence of God. Their very name, what does it have in it? Israel, right? Elohim. Their very existence testifies to the truth of God and the fact that God is a promise-keeping God. Because he says that his covenant with Israel is never going to be rescinded. He said, if, if, if you look up and the sun's no longer in the sky and the stars are no longer in the heavens, this is back in the book of Jeremiah, he says, I'm done with Israel. <laughs> well, it's still there. At least last time I looked, right? God isn't finished with his people. But, so, Satan hates that. So, how is the Lord Jesus going to overcome the Jewish problem? You know, when the tragic uh, Haiti earthquake occurred, the first people on the ground to offer assistance were the Jews. Israel. They sent... Immediately in uh, assistance, they were there, they were set up with tents, they were doing medical stuff immediately, and the media were questioning their motive. Anybody else would have done it, they'd have been clapping their hands. There's this illogical, irrational hatred. And so how is this going to be overcome? Well, the first festival, the trumpets, is going to deal with the problem of a scattered people. The second festival, the Day of Atonement, is going to deal with the problem of a sinful people. The third festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, is going to deal with the problem of a suffering people. And the Lord Jesus is going to solve the Jewish problem. So we're going to, as it were, walk through this together. And so we want to think about trumpets first of all. What was the significance of the Feast of Trumpets initially with the nation of Israel, and then what is the significance of it prophetically. And so, we want to think about the purpose and significance of trumpets. And to find that out, let's look at the book of Numbers in chapter 10. Numbers in chapter 10, where God begins to give us some instruction on the purpose of trumpets. And we might say this in Numbers 10, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10, but we won't look at every verse, but that's the section we're in. But we might say this to begin with, that this part of the significance of trumpets is that it was a method of communication. There were, uh, from conservative estimates, 2 to 3 million people that left Egypt after the Passover. And they went following God into the wilderness, Now, how do you get the attention of two to three million people? Like, you know what it's like here, after coffee break, when you're trying to get people? You could do with a couple of silver trumpets, couldn't you, to get you lot in here. Never mind two to three million people. You see what I mean? You can see the difficulty of communication to a crowd. It's a problem, isn't it? So, God instituted this means of communication. Uh, One of the means... Of course, he had the pillar of fire and the cloud, and he had lots of different ways. But this is one of the ways. And so it says in verse 1, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them for... And then he's going to give the reasons the trumpets were made for. And the first one that he emphasizes here in verse 2, make them, he says, for the calling of the assembly. And so the idea is that if God wanted to communicate something to his people, then the priests would blow the trumpets and get everybody's attention and they would all... Now, before the days of walkie-talkies and all that kind of stuff, that's how the military used to do it, wasn't it? The bugler gave messages to get a large group of people to attention and to do different things, right? Advance, retreat, whatever, it was definitely trumpets were used in that sense, weren't they? In military terms, before the days of um, more modern technology. So the calling of the assemblies, gathering the people together... And then he says, not just for the calling of the assembly, but again in verse 2, he says, that Thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. In other words, when it's time to pull up their tent pegs and break camp, God would blow the trumpets. Right? And it would be a way of saying, We're moving out. We're going somewhere else. We're going to move on on our journey. And then, in verse 9, he says that there's another reason. It says, "...and if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies." So it was used to sound an alarm for danger and announce war. They're surrounded by hostile enemies. The enemies are coming to attack them. They would blow the trumpets and, of course, the people would get ready... For the attack, and it was also a beautiful picture of prayer, because, in a sense, when the enemy's coming in like a flood, what we do is we sound up, sound a blast up to heaven, right, and it says, "God will remember you, and you will be able to defeat your enemy so it 's a picture of prayer as well there, but the idea is we 're just thinking about the communication value of trumpets, and it, so it 's to sound an alarm for danger and to announce war and then finally, in verse ten, he says And also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginning of your months you shall blow with trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifice of your peace offerings that they may be to you for a memorial before your God. I am the Lord your God. So they were to announce special days in the calendar of Israel. So although there is a feast of trumpets, the trumpets were used in other festivals as well. So they were connected with festive occasions when God's people came together. So, these are the the reasons for the use of trumpets. Now, we've said that in the previous festivals, they were fulfilled chronologically. So, for instance, Christ, our Passover, became... The Passover Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. When? On Passover. Right? In other words, He fulfilled the picture back in Exodus 12 and Leviticus 23 and He fulfilled it exactly when? Christ's sacrifice was on Passover, wasn't it? He Thursday night, had the Passover meal with his disciples because they were from Nazareth. Remember we said there, was two past, there were so many of them that they had to have two separate days, one for the people who were outside of, of the city and then the second day was for those in the city. So on the day before, he had the Passover with his disciples and then on Passover, he became the Passover when he was sacrificed for us. So, He fulfilled that picture right on schedule. Christ rose from the grave on the festival of firstfruits, right? So, again, He is fulfilling it right on schedule. The Holy Spirit descended, when specifically? On the day of Pentecost, fulfilling the picture in the Old Testament, right? Pentecost was in the process, literally, of being fulfilled. And of course, uh, these are beautiful pictures that are fulfilled, literally. And so, based on this, how the first festivals were fulfilled, we have every confidence to believe that the final festivals will also coincide with the dates of the feasts. So, we might say this, that on the Feast of Trumpets, God is going to do something dramatic concerning the nation of Israel. I want to suggest to you that the nation of Israel will be regathered all together in one day at the blowing of a trumpet on the Feast of Trumpets. You say, well, how's that going to happen? Do you have any evidence for that? Well, yes, I do. So, let's look at some of the evidence. Start with Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Regathering of Israel will take place on the Feast of Trumpets. Matthew 24, verse 29. And I believe that God is going to use the tribulation period to allow the Jews to be willing and anxious to return to their homeland. See, a lot of Jews, the reason they don't want to leave New York and Toronto and London is because they're doing rather well there. Thank you very much. Right? You know, when when Zionism was first being talked about, The Jews were not excited about a homeland for the Jews because they were doing very well in Europe. What finally persuaded them of the merits of having their own homeland was the holocaust. Because they were believing the lies of evolution that we're all getting better. You see, I mean, the idea of evolution is that it's ongoing and the, that everybody's becoming better people and all the rest of it because we're kind of growing up out of our caveman behavior and we're actually finally becoming decent, civilized individuals. Is that what you see when you look at our world? <laughs> no. And, and they believed that lie. And they thought people are going to get over this anti-Semiticism and they'll be nice to them. And they for a while seemed to be going well for them. And then in the 1930s, things started to go very bad for them, didn't they? And so God used that in His sovereign purposes. He used a madman like Adolf Hitler to get people to be willing to think about going back to the land. He's going to use another madman called the man of sin, to do the same thing. To get the comfortable Jews, and there's probably some in Miami, I don't know, maybe so, somewhere down here, or anyway, I don't know the geography of Florida, but I know that they're prosperous generally, and they're going to be, God's going to use this. So let's break in, verse 29. He says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall Not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds From one end of heaven to the other. Now, in the context here, when he says he will gather together his elect, Matthew twenty four is Jewish ground. You know, let your flight not be in the Sabbath day. Would that bother you on Saturday to make a journey? I don't think it would, right? So it's speaking of Israel. And God is going to regather Israel. Tribulation is coming to a climax, as it were. Coming to an end. And the Antichrist, I think, will cooperate. He'll say, this is great. Let them all come back. We'll get them in one place. Just like the Warsaw Ghetto. We'll get them in one place and we can finish them off. The final solution is within grasp. And so, God will open the way. Now, let me show you some other scripture. I don't want to base it just on one scripture. Look back in the prophecy of Isaiah now, chapter 27. Isaiah chapter 27 verses 12 and 13 It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the river unto the stream of Egypt and you shall be gathered one by one O ye children of Israel and it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown and they shall come which were now notice the language of this verse 13 of chapter 27 They shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcasts in the land of Egypt and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount of Jerusalem. A trumpet will sound, Israel will come back one by one, God will regather them. Those that were ready to perish, right, they've endured the horrors of the tribulation period, and now a trumpet blast and they're all ready, they're prepared, they're absolutely, they're done with Toronto. They're done with all this. They want to go back because they think at least if we can come together, we might be able to defend ourselves. And so God is going to allow them to return. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, verse 11 and 12. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shina, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea, and shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the of the earth so again there's going to be this gathering together of the nation regathering them bringing them back into their land Isaiah 18 verse 3 all ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth see ye when he lifteth up an ensign on the mountain and when he bloweth a trumpet hear ye now look at verse 7 In that time shall the present be brought to the Lord of hosts of a people scattered and peeled and from a people terrible from their beginning hitherto a nation meted out and trodden underfoot whose land the rivers have spoiled to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts the Mount Zion. So the trumpet is going to be used to regather the nation of Israel and they will no longer be a scattered people One hymn writer says this, the scattered sons of Israel's race that trumpet sound shall bring back to their land to know and own Messiah as their king. So what about those that are returning now? Well, there has to be Jews in the land in order to make the covenant of death with the man of sin. You've got to have them back. So there, there are those that have already gone back, but it's not the whole nation. And the interesting thing is that the Jews are very active in trying to get people to return. Uh, they have special government body that, that is uh, looking out for Jewish communities around the world, trying to persuade them to make Ayala to come back to the land. It's really fascinating. And they, they project that by 2015 it'll be the first time in the history of the state, first time since A.D. 70, that there'll be more Jews in Israel than out of Israel. Isn't it interesting? Do you not think we're living in exciting days? I think we're living in amazing days, aren't we? See, we're beginning to see some of this play out, aren't we? After the long gap where nothing seems to be happening, all of a sudden, things are happening. God is moving, you see? And, uh, and, of course, when it happens, they'll be brought back. Now, also, I want to say this, that, that as we said, that there's the primary interpretation of the final three festivals is to do with the nation of Israel. But what we could also say is that there is also a secondary application to the church, because in a very real sense, we're also waiting for the sound of a trumpet, aren't we? First Thessalonians 4. And just like the book of Numbers in chapter 10 tells us about what the reasons for trumpets will be, well, I want you to think about the Lord's coming for his heavenly people, the church. And of course, that sound of the trumpet first of all, will result in the calling of an assembly. It's going to be a great assembly, isn't it? The dead in Christ will rise first. Those that are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. What an assembly that is going to be. I don't want to miss that one, do you? I'm not going to. Neither are you if you're a believer. All right? What an assembly called to meet Him. In the clouds, in the air, the very scene of Satan's dominion. Remember, he's the prince of the power of the air and the Lord is going to snatch out all of His bride, His people, in the very scene of Satan's dominion and Satan won't be able to do a thing about it. Isn't that tremendous? What an assembly! And it also for us will mean time to break camp. Right? The journeyings of the camp. It will be our last trip. I spend a lot of time on trips, packing. But I won't have to do any packing that day. One minute I'll be here, and then in a twinkling of an eye I'll be there. Oh, what a trip, huh? Just like that. The, the time to break camp, folks. I wonder—is it you know? The, actually, one of the 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 the, the word rapture. Um, it, it's what we find it in First Thessalonians uh, in the term caught up. And and one of the ways it's translated is to seize by force. That's how it's that word, the Greek word is translated. And some of us have got our tent pegs driven down so deep in South Florida, the Lord is literally going to have to seize us by force to get us out of here. But one second, after it happens, we'll wonder, why did we cling on so much to this piece of real estate? We'll say, what were we thinking? What were we thinking? Pfft, seized by force calling of an assembly, time to break camp. For the world, although they won't hear these events, it will, in a very real sense, sound an alarm for danger and outbreak of war. Because not until the church is removed will this day of wrath occur. Because the Bible says, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, so there's so no day of wrath for us. But also, the Bible clearly also states, uh, concerning these, these things, that, that God, um, <coughs> the restrainer, the man of sin cannot be revealed until the restrainer is removed. So, as soon as the restrainer is removed, then shall that wicked one appear, whom the Lord will destroy. So, for the world, it will be an alarm for danger and outbreak of war. And then we said the fourth purpose of trumpets was to say special days are up ahead. Right? Festival time. And for us, there are going to be some special days. The judgment seat of Christ. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Those are pretty exciting days, aren't they? We're leaving because we're going to a wedding. But this time we'll be the bride. That's going to be nice, isn't it? <coughs> so, remember where we are. We're we're living after Pentecost and in the power of the Spirit that was given at Pentecost, we're meant to be involved in bringing in the harvest. But as we're working, we're listening, waiting for the trumpet to sound to put down tools. We're going home. Now, let me just say this, and I've got to be careful about this. We said the primary interpretation the Feast of Trumpets, is in connection with the nation of Israel. One danger of this is that Christians have come up with this idea that the rapture will happen on the Feast of Trumpets. Now, some difficulty with that. One of the difficulties with that is that it removes imminency. I, I have a friend who believes this. In every September, he gets all excited because he thinks... Maybe this is the year. But after September passes, well, you know, well, he can just kind of relax. You don't have to worry about it until next September. You see, I believe the Lord Jesus could come now before this series is over. Right? We don't want to lose that sense of imminency. So what we're saying is, yes, there will be a literal fulfillment, but the fulfillment will be in connection with God dealing with that nation of Israel. One last thing about trumpets, by the way. Paul uses the language in 1 Corinthians 14 about communication. And he says this, If a trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? Beloved, we need clear teaching today. We need a clear blast of the trumpet. Because how will people follow? If you get on the platform vaguely wondering what to say, people will leave vaguely wondering what you said. We need a clear trumpet sound today, don't we? And so, just some application by way of the Feast of Trumpets. So, we've dealt with the first problem. Now we've got a big problem. We've got two festivals in 15 minutes. But we'll do it, don't worry. Second festival, because as I said, when these things happen, they happen quickly. So we've got the problem, and it is a problem, of the nation, now they're regathered in the land, and let's go back to Leviticus 23, but they're regathered, but they're still a sinful people. Leviticus 23, verse 26, and... um, Says The Lord spoke to Moses saying also in the tenth day of the seventh month there shall be a day of atonement, shall be a holy convocation to you, you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, you shall do no work in that day. That same day for it is a day of atonement for you to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. And we could read on. What we're going to see is that one of the salient features, really there's two salient features of the day of atonement. It's a day to afflict their souls because of their sin. And the idea is the nation just, as it were, beating their breasts in agony over, over their sin. And so it was the the day when the sin of the nation was brought to their attention. So it was a day of deep affliction, and it was a day of no work. Anybody that did any work on that day would be put to death. The only person that worked, by the way, was the high priest. He never stopped working that day, did he? (laughs) He did all the work. They couldn't do any work. So it's a day of afflicting their souls and of no work. Can I say this? That I believe the Lord Jesus will regather the nation on the Feast of Trumpets and He will return with the issue of the sin of the nation on the Day of Atonement. Let me show you why. Look at Zechariah now, please. And for the remaining two festivals, we are going to be spending time in Zechariah. So if you have a piece of paper... The chart, whatever, bookmark, stick it in Zechariah and it will save you time in relocating Zechariah. Zechariah 12, we're going to break in, verse 8. The nation are back in the land. The scattered people are now returned. And it says, um, in that day shall the Lord, this is Zechariah 12, verse 8, and if you're not familiar with it, start Matthew and start working back, you'll get there real quick. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. Isn't that amazing as the na- see what's going to happen is the nation will come back in the land and all of the 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 armies of the world are going to now deal with the Jewish problem in their minds. Let's get them back in one place and we're going to wipe them out. We're going to, the final solution that Hitler talked about, we're going to do it. Because all the problems in their mind is to do with with Judaism and all these promises to Abraham. That's how they view the world's problems, right? We're going to deal with this. We're going to solve this problem. And so he says in that day, God will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, but he says the feeblest one among the Jews will be like David. Well, I tell you, that's something, isn't it? David was some warrior, wasn't he? As a teenager, he slew Goliath. He was a a mighty man of war. That's why he couldn't build the temple, because he was a man of war. And he says, the most feeble among them will be like David. And the house of David shall be as God. Collectively, it will be like God. You'll be fighting against God. They'll be so powerful, this nation, as the angel of the Lord before them then it says this, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy now notice this, all the nations that come against Jerusalem not just some nations I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem they're all going to be united the world will be finally united in its common hatred of God and the people that bear the name of God, Israel. And so they're going to attack. And it says in verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. Just up there. What's going to happen is that as they look at the overwhelming odds, even though they're fighting valiantly, Right? They're like David, the feeblest amongst them. But what are maybe, I don't know, 15, 18 million Jews against all the armies of the world? Right? In other words, they recognize, in a sense, unless God does something, it's over. And so, God will send a spirit of grace and supplication. You know what that means? These Jews, many of them are godless. Many of them are infidels. All of a sudden, they'll begin to pray again. And they'll be... You know what they're going to say? Going to say? Hosanna! You know what that means? Save now! Save now! That's what it means. They said that once before, didn't they? When the Lord Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, they said, Hosanna! Save now. Now, what they want? Weren't, they weren't thinking, save us from sin. They were thinking, save us from the Romans. Weren't they? And here, maybe their, their prayer is going to be, save us from the armies of Antichrist. Save now. And they're going to be... And remember the Lord Jesus says, when you see me again, you're going to say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They're going to say that. So, they're going to say, the spirit of, of grace and supplication, and then it says this, and they shall look upon me, whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him, as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And so here's the scene. Surrounded by enemies, about to be wiped out. All hope seems to be gone. And the nation begin to cry out, Save now! Save now! Save now! And then out of heaven, riding on a white horse, comes a mighty warrior on his vesture dipped in blood, right? And he's got King of kings and Lord of lords and all the rest of it. And he comes with the armies of heaven. I don't like horses that scare the living daylights out of me. Fierce things. But I'll be on a horse that day and so will you. We'll be coming back with him riding triumphantly. And as we come with him, the, the, the nation of Israel, it says, they will look upon him, me, whom they have pierced. And you see, they're, they're crying out, deliver us, deliver us, save now. But the last person they're expecting to deliver them is Jesus of Nazareth. The last person they're thinking. And so instead of rejoicing, you know, you remember, uh, if you know anything about history, uh, V.E. Day, Victory in Europe Day, there's ticker tape parades and, you know, that famous picture of the guy kissing the nurse or whatever, you know. Like it was a day of rejoicing, wasn't it? V.J. Day, same thing. And here in a nation, they're about to be wiped out and suddenly the 7th Cavalry appears just in the nick of time and you'd think they'd be throwing parties, wouldn't you? Dancing in the street. Just tremendous. This is a great day of liberation. But it says, when they look on him and they've pierced, it says they will mourn for him. As one mourneth for his only son, uh, shall be in bitterness for him. As one that's in bitterness for his firstborn, their grief will be so great, it will be like they'd lost their firstborn child. And they're going to be devastated You know, it's going to finally dawn on them, what have we done? We have crucified our own Messiah. And they will mourn. And he tells us this mourning will go in a rippling effect throughout the whole land. It says... Uh, it says in that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning in Hadad-rimmon in the valley of Megiddo that was the day that Josiah was killed and the people mourned that godly king Josiah because they knew it was the end as far as the nation was concerned and he said it'll be like that in the land in the uh, in, in verse 12 and the land shall mourn every family apart Family of the house of David apart, their wives apart. Family of the house of Nathan. So, like the royal line and and the prophetic line, family of Nathan, the house of Levi, the priestly line, their wives apart. It's just like everybody, all the families that remain, every family and their wives shall mourn. Everyone. Mourning. What have we done? And remember what we said, the Day of Atonement... It's a day when they will afflict their souls. They're going to afflict their souls in that day. But the wonderful message is this, that the work that Christ did on Calvary is going to be made good for that nation in that day because it says in chapter 13 verse 1, In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. You know what that fountain is that's going to be open that day? I'll tell you what it is. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stains. And the nation, a nation will be born again in one day. And Israel, that were once a scattered people will be a regathered people. And Israel that were once a sinful people, well, they'll be cleansed from sin and uncleanness. And they'll be forgiven for the crucifixion of the Son of God and their rejection of the Messiah because they will finally embrace Him. Oh, what a day that will be. So Paul would say in Romans 11, 25 and 20 through 27, so all Israel shall be saved. You know, we said that in one sense, there's, there was two features of that day. There was a day of afflicting their souls, and then it was a day when they weren't allowed to do any work. And he says that, that anybody that, that seeks to do any work in that day will be cut off from among his people. You know it's an amazing thing but Paul says in Romans chapter 10 He says Brethren my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved for I bear them record they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God See what have they been trying to do? Work their way to heaven haven't they There, those that are religious Jews it's about good works it's about doing things trying to keep the law and all the rest of it and they've spent They, they. Paul says they have a zeal for God and they're always trying to work 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 and on that day they'll be mourning for their sin and they'll realize no work because Jesus Christ did the work on Calvary and they will accept the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on their behalf. So we've only got one more festival to do, and of course the church's application for that, I believe. For the nation of Israel it's a day of affliction and examination. We have a day of affliction and examination coming up as well, don't we? Judgment seat of Christ. is that a day when everyone will give an account? We're stewards we're accountable <clears throat> we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus I don't think you'll have to say a lot just one look will be enough to realize and we'll be like him when we see him and so in a sense I think we're going to think like he does and stuff that would say in stubble we're going to say to him Lord just burn it. That's, what it that's what you should do with it right we'll see it right the way he sees it but that's a day coming up it's a day that we should really be living this day in the light of that day because we have a solemn day of assessment coming up. Then the final one is the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's go back again uh, to Leviticus 23. And this is, uh, we break in at verse 33. And of all the festivals, I suppose, this is the one that if I was a Jewish little boy, I would probably look forward to more than any, because this is where they get to go camping. This is the festival of booths, if you like, where they remember they were in the wilderness. It's kind of remembrance a lot of, of the wilderness experience, how God provided for them. Uh, how he provided bread from heaven, how he provided water for them out of the rock. And of course, again, I said this morning, John's Gospel ties into these festivals very, very significantly. And so the Lord Jesus will say things like in these festivals, I am the bread of life. In other words, I am the fulfillment of this. And if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In other words, I am the one that, that, that will quench the thirst Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. We said that. Uh, So it's it's kind of, he's the fulfillment of these things. But it was a, a very joyous occasion. So, again, let's just read it. A little bit, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days uh, unto the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation, you'll do no servile work therein. Seven days you'll offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Uh, And of course, it was to be a great day of rejoicing for them. And. Anyway, we're going to look at some of the outcome of it in a little while. But the, the whole section, if you have time to read it uh, from to verse 44, I'd encourage you to do it. But the salient feature is verse 40. You shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Remember we said the one-day festivals, dramatic acts of Jehovah, seven-day festivals, the outcome of those. The outcome of Christ coming back to the earth is going to be a time of unprecedented joy for planet earth, isn't it? You see, one of the things people complain about is the government. Do you see, yesterday, uh, 75% of the population that had been surveyed in America said that they believe the government is corrupt. And they weren't talking about one party or another. They were talking about the whole shebang, right? Those are things that kind of, well, they kind of can rob you of your joy a bit, can't they? This whole American experiment was about a more perfect form of government, wasn't it? Pretty sad now, isn't it? Right? I mean, I hope I'm not kind of offending any of your patriotism, but it's a pretty sad experiment, Taxation without representation, do they represent you when they do what they do? Certainly not representing me. Nobody ever asked my opinion about this political correct agenda they're teaching in the public school systems. If they asked my opinion, I'd say, no, I don't want my dollars spent in making people like gays. I don't want my money spent in that kind of stuff. They're not representing me at all. And probably not you either, right? And so... There is going to be a more perfect form of government. And it won't be a democracy. It will be a theocracy. King of kings. Lord of lords is going to reign. And it will be a time of unprecedented joy for the world. Proper government. So, the nation of Israel, we said, got to solve their problems. They're still a suffering people. Uh, They've been, the the Bible calls them the heel of the nations. That was always under, under people's heel. The heel of the nations will become the head of the nations. People will get hold of the skirt of a Jew and say, tell me about your God, right? They're not going to be despised anymore. Everybody will want to know them. By the way, let's just not miss this. God wants His people to have joy. He wants you to have joy. Do you have joy in your life? We need, we need it, don't we? People need to see that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If we don't have joy, we're weak. and God wants us to have joy. <clears throat> joy is a natural outflow of forgiveness and cleansing, isn't it? Psalm 51, what did David say? After he had been forgiven, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Right? And so, after this nation are finally cleansed, God is going to restore to them joy. They're going to experience great joy. And so, we want to see how this is fulfilled. And I said Zechariah's key. Look at Zechariah 14. Before some of the fulfillment of this, and then we're going to illustrate it, and then we'll be done. Zechariah 14, verse 4, it says, and his feet, speaking of the Messiah, this one who they've looked upon, whom they've pierced, uh, it says, his feet, Zechariah 14, verse 4, his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there will be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And so the Lord Jesus is coming, and, and when He comes to the earth, His feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives. You know how we know that? Because that's where He left from, wasn't it? And what did he say? the angel say to the disciples? This same Jesus shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. And his feet that day will stand on the Mount of Olives. And here's the, here's the fulfillment of it. This is Zechariah telling us what's going to happen. Verse 9, it says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there will be one Lord and his name one. It will be the end of political confusion and religious confusion. Is that going to be good? There's going to be one king in that day. Right? No, no dispute, No, ele- he's not going to be up for election. He will reign for a thousand years uncontested. Right? One king. One lord. I remember as a teenage, Catholic little teenage guy... And George Harrison of the Beatles brought a song out called My Sweet Lord. And I was all excited, thinking, maybe the Beatles have become Catholic. You know, I was kind of excited about it. But it wasn't Lord Jesus they were singing about. It was Hare Krishna, wasn't it? And there's a lot of confusion religiously in our world, isn't there? So much confusion. All the confusion will be gone. One king, one lord. Muhammad, forgotten. Buddha, forgotten. Just one. One Lord. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. What a tremendous day. That, even so, come Lord Jesus, right? End of religious confusion. Now look at verse 16. And It shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Isn't that interesting? To keep the, why keep the Feast of Tabernacles? Because God wants everybody to experience joy in the Lord Jesus. And there will be a great festival. or oh, it will be a tremendous time. All the nations will go up there and they will enjoy and be filled with rejoicing at the new era that, that that has been brought in through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to finish by... and Indulge me, I'll, I'll need ten more minutes, okay? And then I'll be done. I won't say I promise, but... Matthew 16, just turn there please now. Matthew 16, <clears throat> verse 28. Verily I say unto you, the Lord Jesus says, and he's by the way, he's speaking, just so we know, uh, to his disciples here. Let me break in in verse 24. Then said Jesus to his disciples, so contextually he's speaking to his disciples, and in verse 28 he says, Verily I say to you, there will be some of you standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, the disciples are all dead. And the Son of Man hasn't come in His kingdom. So maybe the Bible's just all wrong and we might as well just pack up and go home. You just wasted seven sessions. You know that? No, you didn't. There's got to be an explanation. I believe there's a simple explanation. He says, till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom, chapter 17, verse 1, it says, and after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James and John, some of those that were standing here, his brother brings them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as light and behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias talking with them. So, can I just suggest to you that what God is saying through the Lord Jesus here? He's saying to these disciples, I am going to show you a preview of the kingdom. Some of you that are standing here, you're not going to die until you see the Son of Man coming in His glory. Now, I don't watch a lot of television, but I understand that if they're going to introduce a new series that they that's exciting, they want you to watch, they always show the preview first. And the point of the preview is that there really is a series coming. Right? But they want to just get wet your appetite. The Lord Jesus is saying, The real thing's coming. I just want to whet your appetite. Let me give you a glimpse of what it's going to be like in the kingdom. Let me, as it were, roll the preview so it makes you kind of long for that day. And so what did they see in that preview? The glimpse of the kingdom. Well, what they saw is the Lord Jesus and his unveiled glory. Verse 2, he was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun and his raiment as white as the light. See, when the Lord Jesus returns, it's not going to return as the the one who we sang about over Christmas, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, because the veil will be pulled back. And Jesus will be seen in all of his glory. And Paul says, he saw his glory on the road to Damascus. He says, it was greater than the midday sun. Wow, what glory it's going to be. So, Christ will be there... In his unsullied glory. What a thing that will be to witness that. And then, also, behold, verse 3 there appeared to them Moses. Well, I thought Moses died and was buried, but he was dead and buried. But in the kingdom, people that have died will be there, won't they? In their resurrected form. Just like Moses. So Moses is a representative of those that have died before the coming of Christ. And then it says, Elijah was there. Well, Elijah represents those that were taken to heaven without dying. That would be us, wouldn't it? I believe we're going to be that generation, don't you? That hear the trumpet sound. So what does Peter do when he witnesses this? Because then there's the disciples there. They represent those um, <clears throat> that will have come through tribulation and go into the kingdom in their present bodies, but, in, uh, but born again. Believing Jews who have come through cleansing and the atonement. They'll be there too. So, what does, what does Peter do when he witnesses this? Verse 4 Then answered Peter and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles. One for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You say, Peter, have you lost your mind? What are you thinking of? No, he hadn't lost his mind. He is actually thinking more biblically than many of you are right now. You know what Peter thought? In his mind, the feast of tabernacles was indelibly connected with the kingdom. And when he saw it, he said, Let's get the bulls out. It's here. Tabernacles has come. What he was wrong about was his timing. But theologically, he was spot on. He was thinking biblically. Put up the tents. He's here. <clears throat> and so, in conclusion, what we could say is this, that as you've considered the feast with me, there's some things we've seen. When we came to know Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Oh, what a day that was. It brought us into some tremendous things, didn't it? And since that day, I hope we've been feeding on Christ. We've been removing leaven. We've been living here as strangers and pilgrims. We're, we're waiting for the trumpet sound and we're bringing in the harvest. Boy, that really helps us, doesn't it? Didn't, didn't this clear up what we should be about? It makes things sensible to me, right? You, you, am I the only one that sees this? This is pretty exciting. Feeding on the Lamb. Removing leaven. Waiting for the trumpet to sound. Involved in bringing in the harvest. I mean, this is where we're at. Filled with the Spirit because Pentecost gave us that. This is what we should be doing. And then, joyful at the coming prospects. For that nation that really have a big problem. A problem that the world cannot solve, but my Savior will fix. And He'll do it right. He'll bring them back together. He'll gloriously deal with their sin issue when they look on Him whom they've pierced. And then He will inaugurate a time of unprecedented joy for planet Earth. And you know what we're going to be doing in that day? Reigning with Him. Right now, beloved, we're training for reigning. We are loyal to our David in the cave of Adullam, so to speak, in the day of his rejection. But in the day of his vindication, we're going to be the ruling aristocracy that is going to reign with him. What, what, now, you like the feast? I tell you, they're so exciting, aren't they? This, this stuff lights my fire. It really does. It's exciting to think, what a prospect! Because we have an amazing Saviour. Oh, I'm so glad that Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we're so grateful for our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus, and that problems that the world has been, as it were, tearing its hair out, trying to solve, He will solve so simply. Father, we think of our problems, they were so deep, entrenched in sin, how could we ever get free? And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, our Passover, solved that problem. Father, what a Savior, one who's worthy to be worshipped. Father, I pray for your people here, that you would fill them with the joy of the Lord, which is their strength. And that we might be a joyous group of people. That people that come and visit say, whatever it is about those people, they've got something we pray that we might live in the light of these amazing truths. We'll give you the glory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.